Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Read with Michelle Martin. How can any reader use the ideas that power the culture of a startup? to supercharge their own competitive advantage. Alexander Nikolaos is the author of the book that we're reading today, Startup Culture, Your Superpower for Sustainable Growth. Good morning, Alexander. Welcome to Read. Good morning. Thank you for inviting me. I wonder if you can set the scene for us, give us a sense of the startups that you've worked with and how that front row seat in those startups really informs some of the ideas in this book. It's a very good question. And not only did it inform the idea in the book, I think it also changed me as an individual. Mm. Um, I think most of my career prior to starting with with Grab and then Circles Light and now Paysend uh, was a corporate career. Um, And I think the biggest beneficiary of me switching into startups has been my wife. (laughs) (laughs) And and I'll make the connections because beforehand I was extremely uh, robotic and narrow-minded in terms of my, my view on things and focusing on title and on pay and on you know promotion acceleration, whereas um, I would ever be grateful opportunity to move into sort of the startup scene because it not only informed you know, a lot of what I write in the book and my own ideas around a startup culture and how you can adapt it not only at work but you know it changed me in terms of my own. Um, sort of growth mindset, looking at things that are more important than some of the elements I mentioned beforehand. And I think for any reader um, that uh, will, will pick up my book, but also just generally listen today, I hope that they, they, they find you know, um, some ideas around how they could also pivot and you know, follow something which is a bit more meaningful than what I believe in the past has been a little bit you know, um, linear. That's great to hear that candor. Uh, we appreciate that. But also, I think your book reflects that because it's not only your point of view that we get in this book. You include the point of view of an entrepreneur, of an investor, of a startup leader. So this was very purposeful, including other viewpoints. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's not a how-to guide. Mm. You know, it's based on personal experiences uh, because I, I just felt uh, that when, when you when you read a book, it's always nice to be able to find something authentic and be able to associate to it. And and that's why I took the viewpoint of, of other individuals in, in the industry to give their take from a different perspective. Uh, but but definitely, you know, the, the hyper growth that we've seen with with, with Grab, um, the disruption that Circles Life is doing. Um, re- really informed a lot of the, the practices and some of the tips I do put in the book. And, and funnily enough, the, um, I, I got my, my new role at Payson because of the book. Um, the CEO oh, um, read it uh-huh. and, and told me that he wanted to do that for his company. Fantastic. All right, so share some of the insights with us. What are some of the best practices of startups that you've observed? And I wonder if you can share any real-world examples from some of the companies you mentioned, Grab or Paysend or Circles Life. Yeah, no, look, Absolutely. I mean, the first one is, is not a, a newsbreaker. Is I, I think they foster awesome company culture. I think that is one of the, the best practices I've lived, I've seen, and also whilst I've done my, done my research, there's a lot of proof there. Because, you know, the, the reality is that startups are difficult. They're meant to be because you're going against the grind. Mm-hmm. You have founders that have crazy ideas in terms of this. It's not going to work. But, you know, 50 to 60%, there was a recent survey by, by Forbes, um, uh, saying that people quit, you know, within their first two years within a startup, and it normally comes down to perhaps you know a lack of investment of the leadership in culture, 
uh, perhaps a lack of focus of what they're trying to achieve. You know, really defining that um, that purpose, you know, the vision and the mission statements, because they all correlate to um, culture, not just having the, the, you know, the definition on the wall or on your website, but actually mm-hmm. it's the behaviors and the motivation and the playfulness that you can achieve at work. And I think uh, Grab does that extremely well, and um, and it's shown by their ability to still be in the market and, you know, take over other companies. Um, I think if you look at Circles Life, what I enjoyed with them is that, that power of being able to disrupt and, you know, take on big uh, telecommunication competitors in different markets. And that's all through the power of the individuals that we're able to hire and retain. Um, and now it's a, it's a new challenge to do it globally for a, a new fintech organization. Um, I would also add that, you know, um, the, the other key characteristics is they're having a, uh, a very high product market fit. So it's not always about finding something that you think the consumer wants, mm. but actually solving a problem of the consumer. And, uh, and if you look at some of the successful right. startups in the last 15 years, you know, the Airbnbs, the Netflix, and so forth, you know, they didn't just use technology to innovate. They used technology to help solve a consumer friction. All right. Very much happening within financial services. It's really unfortunate that we're losing you every couple of words. I, th- I think it's something to do with the connection, but... Oh, I apologize for that. Uh, no, that that's better? not a worry. I mean, this is what happens with live radio, but uh, we'll, we'll try to keep this going. Now, why do you say a startup culture, Alexander, is more important than funding or marketing? Because I believe you can replicate funding and marketing with enough time and money. But culture, for me, is your unfair competitive advantage because it is something which will only be unique to yourselves or to the organization and very hard to replicate from other organizations. Mm -hmm. And then in turn, it will attract the best talent because if you are very clear around your purpose in terms of where you want to go and also very sort of authentic about what you're going to give back to your employees, you will be able to attract the best and not just by paying the highest amount of money or giving the best rewards. I think secondly, uh, it really um, fosters happiness and satisfaction to work in, in an organization that takes care of its employees and the development. And all that said, once you achieve that, it will improve performance. There's no question about it. I think when people lift up their laptops in the morning or come into work, depending on what kind of setup they have, mm. uh, if they enjoy their workplace, they know why, why they're coming to work and what it means for them for their future, your performance uh, on it, um, as a whole will improve. And finally, what I've seen, uh, it attracts investment. There's no question that whether you look for funding within venture capital firms or private equity firms, um, in the last you know, couple of years, they will, um, do, they will ask the, the, the leadership team or whoever is providing the information around the due diligence, what they're doing about people and culture. You know, how you're attracting, how you're retaining, how you're developing. It's really important because that gives you an idea of sustainability of the business. You can have the best idea, mm-hmm. but um, if, if no one's there to, um, to help you develop that idea, then it's very difficult to achieve that sustainability. Well, what do you think is most misunderstood by culture practitioners? In this book, you talk about people thinking, oh, culture is something that can happen organically. We can wait before we start to mold it. And you say, no, you got to get started um, from day one, perhaps. Yeah, look, um, I think there's a, re- a really good book I want to recommend um, called Bad Blood, mm-hmm. uh, which is one a lesson about entrepreneurs. They can learn from the rise and fall of a company called Cianos. And what really stuck with me is how dysfunctional the culture inside of the company became because they didn't focus on it because they felt it was something they could fix afterwards. 
And workplace culture, you know, one of the myths is it doesn't start with the CEO. It always starts with the founder and CEO because they define top-down, you know, the, the rhythm of the um, advancement of the organization and how the culture is defined. Um, I think the second myth is that there is people believe there's no connection between culture and the business objectives or strategies. And I'll give you one example, Zappos. It's a really exa- um, excellent example of Zappos, that. Zappos, did yeah. you say? Yeah. Zappos, yes. Mm-hmm. It's yep. um, a, a U.S. e-commerce um, um, organization. Um, and they aren't selling anything you couldn't purchase anywhere else. And you probably could also find a better deal. However, the customer service made them a success. That's because in their culture, they put people first and customer first. So they had this customer centricity part of their values and their behaviors. And that's what made a difference. And that's what people bought at their website or their organization rather than going somewhere else where they could maybe have found a cheaper or different deal. Um, I think the third myth out there is that people are saying there's a right and wrong type of culture. I, I don't believe that again, because as I argued earlier, culture is unique. And this is why you have to be proactive about defining your culture in your workplace, because if you don't, it will happen anyway. Like time, it doesn't stop. You know, the more people you hire, the bigger you grow. Culture will happen organically, whether you like it or not. So might as well be purposeful about it. And then you can build that unfair advantage. We are speaking with the author of Startup Culture, Alexander Nikolaus. More about the book and the ideas in it. I wonder if any ideas in your book uh, seem to have greater urgency in this world, this post-COVID world, where so many people are working from home, teams are fragmented across the world, some people are stuck behind kitten filters, for example. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't see that. No, look, it, 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 it has to do... Um, it has to do a lot about the book because it's also one of the triggers why I felt I had to write the book this year. Because um, I think, you know, in the past, even if you weren't purposeful about culture, if people came into the office and you could see them, you could, um, uh, I guess, control a certain way and you could get a, the, a feel of the mood, you, you could really wrap your arms around the, the office. But you can't do that anymore. And now that you have a distributed workforce and you're hiring people who you've not, not seen before, you're trying to motivate and retain individuals who are really just online. So if you can't double down on sharing and communicating with your employees around why they need to continue being in this organization, the, the reason um, uh, in terms of the, the plans for the future, whether it's business or culture, uh, is so important. And uh, I believe people have more and more choices. There are more opportunities out there. I think it's more of a, a candidate-led market. So if you don't focus on culture and, and, and have ways using technology and engagement tools and um, obviously post-COVID, you'll need to find ways um, of, of getting individuals together. I'm not saying we should all just work from home or remotely, but this is a real, um, uh, I think, first mover advantage for organizations. If they can crack this, I think they're going into the building the, you know, the future of work with a head start compared to other organizations who are still hoping for individuals to come back into the workplace full time. I mean, office based. So at the time of writing, Alexander, at the time of writing the book, you were head of people and culture at Circles.life. You are now chief people officer at PaySend, a post that you say that you got because of this book, the ideas in this book. And you mentioned working at Grab as well. I wonder if you can share from your perspective to what extent are structures that manage feedback so key to the positive culture of a startup? Oh, I think it's got so much to do with it. Uh, I am so thankful for 
uh, having had the opportunity to work uh, for those two organizations in Singapore and now my, my, my next challenge in, in, in Europe because I think startups move so fast because they innovate and want to disrupt. If you don't embed feedback, whether it is for yourself in terms of uh, understanding how the consumer is perceiving your product or feedback amongst yourselves in terms of whether we are still true to ourselves in terms of why we built the company in the first place. Feedback around how we work together and collaborate. How can you learn and improve? And it's something I really found out a little later in my career. But the growth I've seen for myself, um, and I'm not comparing myself to anybody else. I'm just looking where I started from 20 years ago, post-university, and where I am now. The last six years have accelerated my learning tremendously because I've worked in the culture of receiving feedback, saying that um, as a people and culture leader, and we also need to teach employees how to give feedback and how to take feedback. Because you know, there's some times where email is inappropriate and where you know, an in-person or video conference call is a better way to give feedback. So there's another great book out there called um, Radical Candor from Kim Scott. I would recommend anybody reading it in terms of how to give and take feedback. Oh, I love this bibliography that you're sharing with us. Now, earlier on, you mentioned a great book, I have to say, Bad Blood, and that's all about the Theranos story. And I was thinking about that and how really, you know, the people that working at Theranos, I wondered to what extent they had an opportunity to participate in a healthy work culture if you have a CEO who is deceptive to that level from get-go. So I wonder if you can tie this in with what any individual who may not be in a position to influence corporate culture, what can they take from your book? Well, I, I think that they, they, they can maybe um, see guidelines and other examples of um, what you know, success looks like because of a strong and positive culture. And I think they can then draw parallels to, to, to understand, okay, is this what's actually happening in, in my workplace? And then you just have to make a decision on, well, um, do I think it's going to change? And, and what are the levers in terms of change? And you can always you know, speak to your chief people officer or you can you know, maybe even address the CEO and themselves uh, you know, during the open session if they do something like, you know, ask me anything. And really just challenge and ask, you know, what, what is our strategy around culture? You know, how purposeful are we about these things? And then you'll have to make up your own decision whether the company actually wants to change and, and, and takes your recommendations on board. And if not, well, probably perhaps then another organization where you think is a better fit for yourself that is true uh, to your own uh, values and behaviors, uh, you know, um, would allow you to make the decision. So hopefully by reading the book, I'll give you a bit of a guideline in terms of what to look for and what to ask for mm -hmm. to make the decision to be in a workplace that's good for you. Speaking with Alexander Nikolaus, author of Startup Culture. So the final chapter in your book is the Singapore factor. Give us a tour of that. I mean, to what extent can the startup culture flourish and to what extent is that, you know, culturally mediated by which country it's cited in? Yeah, look, this was really my little plan day to, to Singapore. I have, you know, um, uh, a, a lot to thank Singapore for the, the opportunities they've given me from a work but also personal perspective. So I, for me, it was important to uh, put them into my book because it wouldn't have been written had I not been in Singapore. And, and then I looked, the idea just really came at the end. And, um, you know, why did I write the book? And I just felt, you know what, in Singapore, you know, it's, it's a young country, you know, uh, full, full of purpose. It keeps on um, learning from others as well. They take real ownership in terms of wanting to, you know, build a smart nation, super innovative as well. Um, but I think there's also a great sense of humility in Singapore. 
in, in terms of work, things that have worked and and, um, and things that that haven't, and having that adaptability. Uh, you know, going, going against the odds a little bit in terms of the size versus some other countries in the world. And and I think if you take that, is okay, it's an established government, but you can still, I believe, be in a corporation or be in a, in a government establishment and have a startup culture mindset. Thanks for joining us. He's Alexander Nikolaus, and the book is Startup Culture, Your Superpower for Sustainable Growth. I'm Michelle Martin. This has been Read. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SBH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.